you decide your team needs some practice, so you invite the Vancouver Whitecaps to take shots at. It's That's So MLS! With myself, Nick Thornton, and with me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you? Oh, wow, that was um, correct. I can't say that that wasn't... I can't say that wasn't correct, but... uh... You know, it's not the happiest thing to hear. I'm not over it. (laughs) This is a North American soccer podcast. Um, I just read, uh, I just yesterday, in addition to all the the wonderful soccer that's been taking place, um, I went and read uh, Soccer in Sun and Shadow by Eduardo Galliano yesterday. Oh, cool. Uh, Finished reading it on the, the, the deck. It was really, uh, it's a book by a Jörg Landrider mm-hmm. um, that sort of, um, in little mini bite-sized chapters, describes various elements of, of the history of soccer, um, which can be everything from multi-page chapters on whole World Cups to um, like single descriptions of individual goals mm. or individual players. Right. There's a page on Albert Camus' university soccer career. <laughs> Amazing. It's what we're all after. Um, and just like, I really appreciate it, and I think that this is what makes it a classic, the uh, the sort of magic that goes into uh, being a soccer supporter and, and following the game. The sad part of the book is at the end, after the nineties, the nineteen ninety World Cup, where he perceives all the magic to have gone away. <laughs> cool. Then it just gets sad. I'm sure none of his predictions of how the game would be ruined came to fruition either. Oh yeah. boy! But that uh, that's been that's been um, that's my big news from the week. Nice. Well, that's not. Nothing. That's nothing to uh, turn your nose down to. Um, Have you been? How's your? How's your? Uh, can I get? You know, we've got a, a bunch of leagues to talk about, but the, the injury report that matters the most to me is yours. <laughs> you flatter me. Um, well, I did crank it against a doorway this morning, which is real good because I I forget that I need. I'm like swinging my left leg out as I walk. just because an air boot gives you a couple of extra inches on one leg. So it's just a whole thing. Um, Short story is I have no idea. I got a consult tomorrow with a surgeon to see if it needs surgery or not. And I'm kind of like, okay, if like surgical repairs technically would make it stronger or heal faster. Like, I, I guess I don't really know the advantages or disadvantages to having surgery or not having surgery. But finding out if I need surgery, like if I do need it, I feel like that's a little bit more like, oh, this is real. So. Right. Uh, like, that's the part where, and we kind of, uh, to catch people up, it's uh, in a, a Achilles tendon that you got uh, in a pickup soccer game. Yeah. Um, this is the part, not that... Like, like, obviously this is, has the other elements of importance to you as well, but it's like, you know, that's the part where it really feels like an actual, like, pro soccer injury report. Like, yeah. Where we go into the physio and find out, okay, how bad is this actually? We hear about this all the time, almost like a football manager data point. But when you really got to get into the, the room, 
Yeah, yeah. No, and I've I've had a few of those moments. I mean, I've had my fair share of slight injuries, but, um, you know, tendon and, and feet things just seem to take uh, an extra long time. So it, it's a good, like, three months recovery to start, regardless of surgery or not. So it is definitely like a, a sinking in of, oh, it's the next three months. It's not just I can't go play recreational soccer. It's like my whole life is <laughs> upended by this uh, this I leg. Really... So, which right now is actually like not the worst thing in the world, given that there's only so many places you can go. But it's definitely like a okay. So you know, maybe by Christmas I'll be feeling like I'm like seventy <laughs> percent. I am really sorry. I hope that you uh, recover swiftly and smoothly. That's all right. I, you know, it, this is why we have a youth development program here to uh, get the youngsters in and take my place. So. <laughs> uh, we have got, um, so we thought kind of the MLS was going to, well, MLS obviously always wanted to not, uh, to come back and stay back. Yeah. But, you know, all the efforts that they do to put together this tournament, it's like, Rightly or wrongly, it's like the tournament ends, and it's like, we still got games? Yeah. What are we talking about? We're still doing this? Yeah. Um, but the uh, the final, the the first silverware handed out at MLS this year, um, who knows if it will be the last or not. Uh, I... We've, we we'll talk more about that, but yeah. uh, it was between uh, Portland Timbers, Orlando City. What did you think of the game? Um, overall, I think it was it was pretty good. I would be lying if I uh, said I wasn't a little bit disappointed overall. Um, I I just was a bit surprised that. Orlando played the way they did. I thought they would come out really strong. Um, but you know, as as a spectacle, it wasn't all there. I I still think it was a good game of soccer, and I think it was a probably much more interesting final with um, Orlando and Portland than it would have been with other combinations. So maybe my expectations were a little bit too high for a, a high flying match and a lot of intensity. It was definitely a lot more uh, conservative for the first thirty minutes. 30 or so minutes than I thought it might be. Um, yeah, what did you think? I think I, I could see what you're saying about Orlando because I think that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, this versus the, the previous rounds and what the expectations were, were that whether or not they were too high. These were two teams that were both firing on all cylinders in, in entertaining ways in the semifinals. Um and it's not surprising to think that this might have been uh, more closely contested. Uh, I would say, though, that um, it is execution on the part of Portland that really kind of helped that. Like, sure. like on one hand, like you could have expected them to do more, but at, at the same time, um, this this style of sort of letting the opposition have the ball a lot and then yeah, get, yeah. They get most of possession but not have anything they can do with it. It's like, it kind of felt um, there was this moment where I kind of looked at, you know, in the second half 
Orlando has the ball, um, and they're trying to move in. But it's almost as though, like, Portland have perfect triangles set up at all points. Yeah. So that there isn't a way in and there isn't a way through because everybody is more or less evenly spaced. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. I, I had a couple of moments in this game where I was, l- like, with the... Well, it's not, a dr- it's not a drone, but the 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 camera on the wire um, where you have that really zoomed out look and can see the formations. I, I felt like it wasn't just the formations, but it was movement. Like, Portland's movement on and off the ball just meant that they always had options open. And Orlando at times, even with the ball going forward, it it just felt like the rest of the team wasn't moving with the attacking player. And we'll get to another team that really <laughs> followed that to a T this week. Um, most importantly, you guessed this final correctly. Um, you called it the week before that it was going to be 2-1 Portland. And I was like, mm, no, it seems too clean and neat. And sure enough, and it played out almost exactly as you said it might. I think initially when the game happened, you tweeted that you sort of thought that it was mostly Portland in control. And I was like, I don't know. But I mean, looking back at this game, there might have been moments where Orlando had a bit more possession. But as you said, like it, it comes down to um, the execution um, in the final third, but also just the execution overall. And it just it wasn't really there for Orlando, was it? You're right to say. I mean, like this is where I had to step back almost when I was when I when I was writing our, my piece and we were talking about it. Is that like, okay, so Orlando did score, so it's hard to say that they didn't. They never had control of the game, or they never had a, a, a period of influence when they were able to get a goal. Um, but in in for you know heading into halftime, that game was tied as well. And I, I feel um, like the the thing that I really look to in this game and to 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 feel like okay Orlando did show up was that the ten or so minutes following the first goal um, from Mabiala, I thought was a good response from Orlando. I mean they they looked much more switched on at that point than they did for much of the first half, and and then ultimately got the tying goal through Pereira. So I I sort of saw that as like a. a a key moment in the match but it just whatever happened at the half you know the the second half of the game I really felt like it was it was just Portland kind of going through the motions the funny thing is I think that the the one thing that I wrote down I wrote 23 minutes is that there's this this minute where Chara gets his forearm up in someone's face and I'm like he could have been sent off, and how different would this game have turned out? If, yeah, no doubt. If he had gotten uh, sent off before the first goal, um, yeah, I th- I think that you're right to say, especially in that first half, that there was a a world of possibilities. Both goals looked really good. Uh, it was a Valeri free kick that found Mabiala for a header, uh, and just this laser pass from Nani for Pereira. Yeah. And what I, th- hmm? I mean, and I was going to say, like, there was Orlando had a couple of half chances towards the end of the game, but they really did look like 
you know, they'd get the ball, they'd hold string together some good passes. That was never the issue. But then they'd have an opportunity in the box and it would just get skied over or, you know, missed or, you know, and go out for a goal kick. It just, it it was like they'd, they'd do the, they'd do the work to get there. It wasn't Portland completely in control. However, even in those moments defending it, it's kind of like Portland could keep a pretty simple defensive shape. They didn't really look too bothered by it, and Orlando squandered all their chances. So although Orlando could have scored a couple of times to tie it up, it, it just none of the shots, I, I think, were even on target. So <laughs> it's hard to say that that was a moment where Orlando was really in it. I think he got at least hit somewhere near the net for it to count. <laughs> the... The, I think it's like the 60th minute on, um, Portland gets that, um, the second goal, it's, uh, redirected between, um, it's a, it's a Williamson fake shot that grazes Jeremy Abobasi and Zuperich who, who directs it into the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Very, and like, very much a, put as many attackers into the box as you can and the ball will fall to them kind of which... approach. Ultimately, like when, uh, like when I'm thinking, like what, what went wrong for Orlando is that it's sort of the overload that comes from sending up the fullbacks that they weren't really, really able to do. Ruan, who'd had so much success, really wasn't, you know, a as much of a positive influence. He almost got sent off there. I think he, I thought he was way incredibly lucky to put his cleat in someone's face late in the game yeah that was a a weird one i mean i ultimately was okay with the call because i don't think there was any intention behind it but who knows what intention has you know plays a a factor in what calls anymore in mls because it 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 hasn't seemed to matter in the past i I feel like it would have been a bit of a harsh red but when cleat is meeting face (laughs) and that face is standing up it's hard to hard to argue but yeah, I agree. Ruan really, he was one of the the sort of more disappointing parts of this game for me. Um, I think Chris Mueller as well didn't have a, a great shift. I think everybody was expecting a little bit more. Um, you know, both teams had the same amount of time to prepare and rest. Orlando really did look stretched kind of thin in this game, though, to me. Yeah, the 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 stretched thin part always with this tournament is worth thinking about and worth focusing on. And I I think that, you know, it was finished. It was an interesting thing for fans um, to... It was an interesting thing for fans to watch. Um, despite the, like, massive problems they had getting it off the ground, um, once it was on the ground, it seemed to go relatively smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what is so frustrating to me about how by the time, and, and one of the issues with how you rate this, like, like they were clear, um, when they were talking about that, you know, uh, that they, that this was like a second title for Portland. Yeah. If people, people were referring to it that way. And it's like, I think that the... MLS kind of doomed this final in a way by already talking about there was a there was a league game the next night. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like like it was getting yelled at, and Don Garber 
steps onto the microphone and says, Difficulty is an excuse that history never accepts. Just completely drove me up the wall. Yeah, it it really feels like, you know, the a lot of these moments would be better served with Don Garber just not talking. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's just me, but it it's just like, you know, it, it it's sort of like having somebody come in and and read the thing that's in parentheses. Like the thing that doesn't need to be said is now going to get ham-fisted straight into your face and you don't have any say about it. You're like, "Okay, can we just watch the game like you talking about how important it is makes it seem less important we had a good um uh, i i wrote an article about this for little rubber pellets Mm -hmm. which seems to come back about once a year now (laughs) (laughs) uh the the, uh you help me take a look at and the the issue that continues to come up with COVID in sports, but especially MLS, is that, you know, it's almost like this is an entertainment machine. This is a sports machine. And it generates stories about overcoming the odds, overcoming adversity. But it's almost like it's high on its own supply in terms of we have to overcome the pandemic. You don't (laughs) have to, if you're a sports organization. If everyone stays alive, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's no measure of, of of what games you played or were not. If you manage to keep your players and staff and fans safe, like like this is not a war. There's no opponent. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to prove to your opponent that you're not really scared because you can uh, admit. 3,000 people to watch an FC Dallas game. Mm-hmm. You just have to keep, you have to keep as many people, as few, as few po- people as possible from dying. That's the only thing you have to do. And the fact that MLS, we've, we've built this machine that all it can do is try. And it keeps trying even when it really should just stop. Yeah, yeah, because it was almost like after every one of Don Garber's comments, you could have just been like, we didn't need to do this! Like, (laughs) it was just, it was like, this is all patently false. You're speaking platitudes, but also, like, this is not some shining example to the world of how we we must persevere and carry on. This was a, a nice distraction for sports fans. It was an ability to, like, have some sense of normalcy and maybe that's that's it. And it doesn't, like, can that not just be enough? Like, the thing already happened, <laughs> like, I guess. And now we've, and now we've gone on to the league. The, the, for every moment that we talked about what is the sporting importance of doing this tournament, what is the sporting importance of running league games where half of the teams are not playing each other or they're just playing each other in random combinations? Dallas and Nashville are going to play each other twice in a row. Okay. The MLS teams are going to play nine matches against... The Canadian MLS teams are going to play nine matches against each other. Sure. Fine. It's like... It's... The... The lack of sports... You know... Logic... Mm -hmm. Is... Is... 
wouldn't bother me as if they acknowledged it. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, well, like, I think that's like become the new pandemic thing where whatever plan you roll out, you act like it it was all a part of the master plan and you were, you knew you were going to do this the whole time, even though it's taken months and months and months. And then it's just thrown together at the last minute. And people are like, ah, yes, this is the plan. So the Dallas game happened. Uh, I don't know what the, I don't have the attendance figure for the second one, but I think it was like 2,900 in the, uh, in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to sign a waiver to get into the stadium. Look, you're not having a good time until you have to sign a waiver before you have fun. Just because it's a pandemic, you're so cynical. You have to sign a waiver before you do yoga. (laughs) Yeah, you have to sign a waiver before you jump out of a plane, too. (laughs) All things where you might die. (sighs) And, and, And then, the, you know... MLS has one of the things that you can have a credit to MLS is how well it is done with um, Black Lives Matter in, in representing movements like that because it's been Black Fire led, and then they the teams kneel from the national anthem and the fans at Dallas boo and throw garbage at USA anthem. Yeah, we, we fans in fans in stadiums was a mistake. Yeah, for a variety of reasons. Uh, yeah, and you know it's it's been interesting to see the response from the team. Um, I know Reggie Cannon was quite vocal about it, um, and the team very quickly backed him, um, and has made some pretty strong statements about who's welcome and who's supporting, who's a true supporter and who's not. Um, but it, I mean, there shouldn't have been people at this game because it was an yeah. unnecessary risk. But, like, uh, I think that MLS might have also just forgotten that, like, the the fan base, maybe not the fan base, but certainly there's elements in certain fandoms, and probably with every team, but some more so than others, are maybe not exactly the people that you really need around you right now. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, like this ultimately goes back to, like, the challenge that MLS had last season with on um, issues of fascism and anti-fascism in supporters groups. Mm-hmm. Um, that that this was an open, this was a conflict that maybe was not being, you know, because people weren't meeting was not being sort of like work through in the same way as it may have if, if people had been in stands all this time, you know, like, you know, and having to, having to, you know, come to some agreement about all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in the, in the same way that I felt in that first game in NWSL, um, I definitely agree that, you know, when you look at the, the sort of the right winger response, they say, oh, well, the protest protest is a choice but fans choice to boo the protest is also a choice i think that the support of your own fans i it's not that you're it's not that you're entitled it's not that a team is ever entitled to not be booed by its own fans but it's pretty disrespectful well here's my you, question if you if, do that if you boo your players before the games even kicked off for their 
stance um, on Black Lives Matter, do you then not cheer when they score? Like, why are you there, I guess, is my thing. I mean, you've seen... Well, sorry. I was going to say you've just seen your players support this in Orlando, but you haven't because your team uh. got sent home. Um, you know, but it, it, it's just like a... It, it, it really does sort of... The, the logic sometimes is quite baffling. Where you're like, so... So what do you support? Why are you here then? The reason why that you should do like it's down to supporting you. It's like if as a supporter, it's like the question is: Do you support your black players or not? And yeah. It's like I I could totally see where that harms the relationship between a player and the fan base. For the player to think when I am playing, they cheer me. When I am not playing, they don't respect me. Well, and the, it also exposes uh, a very uncomfortable, but I think very true trope in a lot of American sports, which is how white fans of the game view black athletes and and what value is placed there. And certainly that conversation's been in college football for decades. Um, you know, there's there's a lot there. It, it's just such a unfortunate... Thing for you know here's two teams that finally get to play each other and are, are you know uniting on something that the league and every team has united around and to have any element of your fans um disrespecting that is it's like sure you you do have the freedom of expression to do that you're also a dirtbag and like what again what are you supporting then like, are you going to boo your black athletes every time they touch the ball? Or are you going to, like, what are you a fan of? Why are you here? <laughs> if you heard, yeah. The, 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 one of the lines from, you know, the, the, the Reggie Cannon release, you know, he says, you can't even have support from your old fans in your own stadium. It's baffling to me. Um, but then he said, and, and, and this is, I guess, the message that I want to, if anyone listening is on the fence, this is the message that I want to, to send uh, with this, where he says, you know, they they don't understand. We had someone cheating USA, but they don't understand what kneeling means. They don't understand why we're kneeling. They can't see the reason. They think we're the ignorant ones. It's incredibly frustrating. I'm sorry to have this tone, but you have to call it, what it for what it is. If you are listening and you are not clear what it, and, and you have heard somebody tell you that, I don't know, these people, that, that it's a movement that wants to destroy the country or something, just try to listen to some people who are actually a part of the movement and listen to the actual day-to-day -day struggles of black people in America and Canada. Just, just turn off the other people that are giving you these influences that are not black and and just look into it please and if you're fan if you're a fan you know you've got you've got folks at your club talking you have players that you should be supporting telling you about that experience if i mean if you can't listen to that then oh boy bigger issues probably there Unfortunately, the, uh, this kind of became the talking point because not much happened in this game or the one that followed. They they uh, they did play the anthem in the second game, which to me is the coward's way out. Just don't play it. Just don't play it. That's just oh sorry. They played the anthem 
while the teams were in the dressing room. Right. Yeah. 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 That's the coward. Like... That's the that's the that's the coward's way out to me. Yeah. Just a more reasonable thing would be just don't play the anthem because you don't need to. You're absolutely right. Over two goals after the 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 Dallas fans who um, who risked it all uh, did not see a goal over 120 minutes. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, it was it was pretty frustrating to to watch Dallas as is our evergreen statements about them. I think are there where you just go all huff and no puff, a lot of speed, some crisp passes every now and then, but just a, a team that doesn't ever seem quite organized enough. To me, it felt like traveling back in time to the beginning of MLS is back. Um, yeah, which is, you know, the, which, which is not them... necessarily. Yeah, for the, these two teams, maybe that's apt. Um, there was just a lot of mistakes, I think, probably on both sides, but especially on Dallas. Like, it, well, Dallas, Dallas seemed to be punished more often by by giving up good chances, or uh, in the uh, in the case of the first game, the uh, late goal from David Akam uh, from Nashville. Yeah, I mean. To Nashville's credit, I think they've built a really good team. They they've gone the opposite Miami approach with, um, and and the way of Atlanta, where the they've gone big signings, whereas Nashville has gone really trying to build a solid base of MLS experience and then build around that. Um, even in in their big spending splash for Walker Zimmerman, they still chose to go with a young center back, which I think is always a great investment. Um, and certainly in this case it was, and, and I just feel like they've, Nashville is going to be able to, I think, play, um, not as well as they could or should in a lot of games and not necessarily lose or be completely out of it. You know what I mean? Like they've got enough experience on their side that I think they can ride out some challenges in games where they may not have their full identity yet, or they might struggle to score goals. I, I think these two games show they can also just kind of keep things simple, lock it up at the back, and at least walk away with a point. I definitely agree with that. And I think that it's interesting as you make that point to think about who's considered, you know, a big signing and who is not considered a big signing based on whether or not they're in the league. It's like, yeah. you know, this is, this is you know, I'm not going to say that it is a, um, it's not exactly like we're talking like the all-star team here, but you know, if you look at names like Walker Zimmerman, if you look at uh, David Romney, um, uh, David Akam, Godoy is there. Yeah. David Akam. It's like this is a team. This is a team full of people who have performed at a uh, at a top level in MLS and proven performers as well. This isn't just you know we've seen expansion sides try to add MLS experience, but they don't always actually get the best picks. You know, they're it's basically from the the waiver draft and um options that haven't been picked up so it's not always the the best quality players but i feel like nashville really went out of their way to find the right type of mls experience where these are guys that all have a very good track record with every team they've played at it's not just they've been in the league it's they've been in the league and they've succeeded as well um, you know, defensively and, and defensive mid in particular, I just thought Nashville looks like a, a, a pretty solid team. It's maybe not the prettiest thing in the world or the most threatening going forward, but that kind of thing can come. 
if and they did the right thing by building that defensive foundation so that they can again ease themselves into games find points along the way but i i feel like i i struggle to think of a team that would come up against nashville and just rip them apart based on the way they're set up the uh the weird part of this pandemic i feel has been that it it seems to be a constant you know with with the way leagues are, are facing these tournaments is that it seems to be a constant case of meet them again for the very first time. <laughs> yeah, Where it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. Nashville played two games. And then, you know, in Miami is the uh, Miami's definitely one of the ones where I think of this time. Is that it's it's almost like, you know, when uh when does when does Miami play next? Uh the twenty second against Orlando. It's like that is gonna be, it's like a third re debut. Yeah. Because it's a third debut because they had their first debut. They came into the tournament and they had a tough tournament. And now they're going to try and like sort of reassert themselves. And, and I think both this is going to be a tough uh, scenario for either team to define what what they are made of. And, and, and to, in, like it'll be interesting to see what happens when Nashville begins interacting with the rest of the league. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The other MLS game that took place. Nope, I think that's it. Um... <laughs> the Vancouver Whitecaps traveled to the empty BMO field um, and uh, got beat pretty handily 3 nothing. Mm-hmm. They sure did. I, I mean... This is... I, I, I'm trying to remember who said this on Twitter, but, you know, the, having the strikers back did not fix the defensive issues. That, which is so weird, right? Um, the the big thing, you know, after we talked about it, that, that happened for the Whitecaps before this game, um, is that uh, Imbam Wang has left the building. He's gone to Ruben Kazan. Um, I believe I heard, I'm trying to remember where the um, where this fee was mentioned, but um, the fee is said to be three million. In the twenty five percent, or sorry, in the twenty percent sell on fee, I think. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it's twenty five percent sell on fee, which makes him the our our second highest sale that we've ever had. Which is wild to think about in terms of the time that he actually spent here and and his and his his success or or non success. Yeah, I mean, it's a good bit of business for the Whitecaps, I suppose. But, I mean, I think right now they'd probably rather have a creative midfielder DP who could help them win games. But Inbom wasn't going to be that anyway. Um, it, it, it was clear that from the moment that he came in until this season, what was expected of him and, and what the plan was had changed significantly. Um and, and he just wasn't able to adapt to that. And I don't want to place it entirely on the player's shoulders because I think consistency and messaging and, you know, there's a lot of things that go into how well or not a player is going to adjust to a club. Um, but it it seemed like for the most part, it just didn't ever really look like Inbaum was that comfortable playing in this league. Um, he certainly seemed a bit more physically aggressive this season what we saw of him and and that's not an unusual thing to see um but it, it was 
looking back, it's hard to think of a time where he really had the better of an opponent on the, on the pitch and, and wasn't fairly easily pushed past. Um, you know, which is an unfortunate thing for a player of such talent, but that so he concludes that. was not available to the Whitecaps. Um, Freddie Montero was left at home, and he took a he took a picture with a sporting Lisbon shirt, but apparently they just sent him a jersey. So nothing, no, nothing to particularly get excited about there. Um, but people wonder whether or not that will be the end of him with the team as well. Um, but on the other hand, Lucas Cavallini was back in the lineup, as was Andy Rose. Yeah, and I mean, you'd think with the the positive additions back and maybe some more of that core group of players, um, the Whitecaps would have brought a little bit more. Um, it was interesting to see Andy Rose was immediately slotted in at center back, where you, you've got three other possible choices in that role, and all three of them are benched in favor of Andy Rose, who is not a true center back. Um, although it has, has done admirably in the role when he's there, it's not to take anything away from him. Um, but I thought that was curious that over um, Godoy, Kamiri, and um, Cornelius, that you'd still rather have an Andy Rose. And I don't disagree with that decision. But this just, this was every single thing that we've ever talked about the white caps all happening in the same match. I think the only thing that was missing was a random sending off. And that really would have been the icing on the cake, but it just, it's so interesting to hear like the, the behind the scenes things or like the pep talks from Mark Dos Santos. And then it's like the white caps do the exact opposite of everything. He's literally just said, like, Nobody's fighting for the second balls. People aren't covering each other's mistakes. They're not pushing up in the right moments. Um, they're not playing with any intensity. It's just... It, this was just such amateur soccer. Um, and, you know, TFC had some brilliant moments, and I thought they played the game extremely well. But they barely had to break a sweat to do it. This was, you know, about as easy of a game as Toronto's going to play this season. What do you make of that dissonance between, um, be- between what we're being told, what the players are being told, and and how they are enacting that? It's a a good question. It's one that I've been thinking about for a long time because it really does become a much larger question of like, well, where is the breakdown here? Because the coach is saying we want to do these things. This is our identity, but the on-field product that's not happening. So is it the a failure of the coach to get across the message? Is it a failure of the players to not execute said message? Um, I think at this point, you could say like, this is Mark Dos Santos's team. He's got the players that he wanted. Uh, sure, there's maybe a couple of pieces that he, he would like to add, but he's remade this team twice now. Um, and really, it sounds like hasn't had a lot of opposition to the signings he's wanted to make or the way he wants to play. But it's sort of like it keeps getting worse. We're not even talking about it hasn't improved. Like, where's the team that, you know, at least would occasionally win some games and give people <laughs> a run for their money? And I'm like, sure, the MLS is back tournament. We had a bit of a run. I think some of that can also be attributed to just like luck and the fact that when you're playing with a completely different lineup, 
other teams don't always know how to adjust to that as well. Um, at any rate, I do think I do think intensity is a part of it, and I mean, like, I don't know if this is too, you know, too feeding into the narrative than anything, but it's like uh, the Whitecaps were not gr- very good against Seattle in MLS's bat, mm-hmm. um, and then Propel broke his hand, and now you have this situation where you know you bring in Thomas Hassel, who is very young and has very little experience. And the team came together for him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all uh, got the start again here. But it's almost like, it, it's almost like, and they weren't necessarily very good in the first, you know, two thirds of the Chicago game. But it's like, for some reason, everything came together within that second, you know, within the business end of the Chicago game, where they were like working as a unit. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the, they had come together as a team and they were really working for each other and, 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 and they showed tenacity. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what, in, in a performance like this, you know, Toronto had 75% possession. Toronto had 24 shots on shots with eight on goal. Whitecaps had four shots total with one on goal. And, and that's becoming a pattern for them as well, which is, is really the alarming thing. Um, I mean, we should say, like, Toronto played very well. This is their 16th um, unbeaten mm-hmm. game for regular season. So, like, credit where credit is due. Both Piatti goals are just stupid. The first one especially, I go... It's really nice. You know, he he runs himself back and then back into space and takes a crack. Like, I'll forgive that one. Somebody could have stepped up and challenged it a little bit more maybe, but, like... Okay, it's one nothing, fine. But the rest of the game is just them chase uh is the white caps chasing shadows and and just uh, you know, the moments where we do win pose- possession, we can barely string two passes together before we give up possession again. And so it's an intensity thing, but it's also a focus thing of knowing what to do when you win the wall, when you win the ball back. And and it seemed to be that like the this the moments where we would get the ball back, there was it's like the players who should be ready to receive the ball didn't know where to be. The person who just received the ball didn't really know where to look. And then there'd just be an errant pass and we'd turn it over again. I, I think the thing for me that I continue to have questions about for the Whitecaps is, like, what's the on-field coaching here that's happening? Like, why, if, you know... I know that there's lots of training sessions. I know that players are spending a lot of time with their coaches. What is it that they're working on and and learning? Because it it, it is not translating to a full 90 minutes of soccer. It's not even ever one complete half of, of it's, it's like, okay, we've worked on our defensive shape. So we're going to try to do that better, but it's like, we can only do one thing at a time. It's like we can't also add big, defending set pieces properly to that equation. A big question about DeSantos is what is different? Like, like how did he have success elsewhere and, and we're having issues here? And I think that there is an answer to this that can really be tied into the inbound sale in his career. And maybe it is just my continued grudge, but I just think wiping out the roster two years ago was not the right idea. Yeah. Um, 
just because there are so many players that have gone on to have success elsewhere and that were perfectly serviceable. And here's the here's the issue, and here's what his his has ground this team to a halt, right? Is that yes, the Whitecaps had a terrible season the season before that. They or 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 they, they had fell apart at that at, at, at the end. They had had that, that press conference. They had all the the comments about lack of identity. So you have a coach that says we're going to have an identity and, and we're going to go out and get the players that match that identity. I think that that approach, we can now see that that approach was fundamentally flawed. Yeah. I think that you need to build an identity around the players that you have. And you can get new players that can add to that team and to, um, to in, based on what has been working for you, to add to the identity, but it's like you out of the blue pick an identity for a team, the a way you want your team to play, and then you go find some players, and some of them fit it, and some of them don't. But it's like the the notion of it is so constructed. Mm-hmm. If you are if you are forming the identity before you have players to actually represent that identity before you have players that are the identity. It's like, it's, it's a totally top down approach. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one. I I, I feel like I ultimately have more, more questions than answers with the white caps at at this point. Um, it, it just sort of like, I think it's, it's easy to talk the talk, but it's clear that Dos Santos's ideas, vision, etc., is just not happening on the pitch, and and that that's a failure of communication, perhaps. But it seems hard to blame it on the personnel because this isn't the first time, and so you know he's had a chance to bring in different players, um, and I I think that like in a lot of ways, a lot of the players are are doing their best with what they they have available to them but we're still a relatively small side we get hemmed in um, into this defensive setup and you end up with your two center mids having to sit really really deep and it's very hard for them to press up and it just feels like there's always like we get quite compact but when we have the ball there's just acres of space between the the back line and the strikers and I, I part of it I was thinking about last night is thinking like do you maybe maybe need a more experienced and aggressive physical center back that can in like pull the whole team up a little bit but when you've got the entire team sitting back so so far you know when you're in possession you're attacking and the ball's in the final third of your opponent why are the center backs way back in our half like they can this, they can push everybody up. This again goes back. You know, we had Henry. Yeah, and we and we let him go because we thought he didn't. As with everybody else, like Kai Kamara, the coach said he didn't fit the identity that he wanted for the team. And and the other, the you're right that that having. It's almost like if you look at a team's identity, having stable center backs is a part of that because. Great teams are anchored by who is in defense. 
I think that one of the issues with blowing everything up over the last two years has been that the team seems like it's learning on like basic parts of the game from scratch. Yeah. Like defense in in like attack, like in in making the moving the ball forward for attack. So it's almost like in games where they're bunkering down, it's like we've just we've just almost figured out how to learn how to defend. Yeah. But we have spent our whole time studying. It's like you're going for the final and you've only studied one third. Yeah. Of that's exactly of the questions that are going to be on the final. That's exactly. But we're two years in. Yeah. Yeah. I know, and and that's the thing where I I kind of, as you could probably guess, like I end up on the side of being like I I don't feel like Mark Dos Santos is the right coach here. I I like him, and I think the ideas that he says sound good, but if you can't make that translate onto the pitch, it, I mean, it's you or your coaching staff. Unless all your players are just rebelling, um like the on-field product is not happening and i think about that too if it's even less dos santos but his coaching staff of how are you working with these players day in day out weeks on end and they're failing to grasp the simplest of concepts from your game plan um i haven't seen dos santos um post-game comments if they've been put up yet but I just kept thinking, like, what do you say to this? This feels like a, you know, you just trot out Carl Robinson and have him speak for you because you could say the exact same things about the way the team's performing. It's just, it's disappointing. Um, Perspective-wise, they're playing one of the best teams in the league, and Toronto often has our number. Um, I think that, there's many opponents they could quite easily beat 3-0. So that's that's part of it, I, I suppose. But it would just be really nice to watch a Whitecaps game and feel like we were really causing uh, the opposition problems and not just even when we do finally win a game. It, it still feels like it's just weird and by the skin of our teeth and very lucky. Um, it w- it would just be really nice to come into a game against a rival and just think like, okay, this is going to be a good match and it, it's going to be a tough battle. And this one just felt like watching Toronto pass the ball around the Vancouver Whitecaps for 90 minutes. The one other weird thing about this game is that there was a little bit of audible fans because 25 or so people squeezed themselves into a road that's by the stadium onto the steps of the agriculture building so they could see over the fence in and they were lighting off like flares, flares and stuff and the camera was loving them but I was not loving that the camera was loving them because you know they're they're shoulder to shoulder they're you know if you're not going to open the stadium it's like to have these people down there the uh Ontario's limit for a public gathering is 50, and it didn't seem like there were more than 50 people there. But how many people are going to show up next game? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I think it's one of those things where you can say, like, okay, is it the most flagrant violation of public health policy right now? Probably not. But the fact that it's also televised, the fact that the cameras were going to it so often, I think does send a, a very dangerous message that this kind of thing is okay and then it and as you say it, gr- it can grow in popularity so not great to see i get it i get fans wanting to support but 
um, please don't, <laughs> you know, please, yeah. please stay home. Let, let people like, I don't know if you can put up like a big, a big screen or something at Lamport, but let people sit on the paint, the paint, the circles, the six feet, the, the six feet apart circles, paint the six feet apart circles on the grass at Lamport, let them sit in the, on the grass and watch on a, on like a, a movie screen. If you, if you need to find people, if you, you, you clearly as the white caps have done when they, they put out their list of every bar in BC that they have, you know, where you can go do this, you need to provide an outlet for people, especially when it's in the hometown. Cause people are, you know, you read this with Vancouver, you read this with, KPL people saying, "Well, I love this, and I know where it is, and I want to go." Yeah, like, and teams, I want to go gawk, and it's and I understand the passion. But teams, the teams need to be finding ways to promote people staying at home and watching. I, I like it's just so clear from where we're all at, like e- even even having you know like the drive-in things and stuff like that. It just makes me really nervous, and it's like again, we don't need to do this. You know, there's other ways of engaging fans in this. We all just watched a tournament from home. So, like, yes, we know that they're nearby now, but you, it, it now is not the time to be messing with this stuff. Please, please stay home. The uh, Speaking of the Canadian Premier League, the Island Games have begun. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of interesting. I felt like MLS, as you said, it was a weird transition to all of a sudden the quote-unquote regular season after the tournament. Um, and CanPL finally started up again, which is great. There's a, a few games in hand there and some interesting results. Um, overall, just sort of the, the debut of the games and everything, how are you feeling about this? The thing... Well, I think that they've, they've put together a tournament that... Um, it had without a hitch in terms of it clearly both NWSL and MLS experienced the most problems when trying to get players there and they got everybody there without um, having anybody test negative or test positive um, the um, I got big mad about this and I still am concerned that okay so the thing you always have to say about the the broadcast for the KPL, which is through the streaming service One Soccer, that is owned and operated by Canadian Soccer Business, owned by Canadian Soccer Business and operated by Media Pro, I believe is the is the arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, and also handles the national team games. So it used to offer a monthly ten dollar subscription and an annual subscription that I think it was like uh, seventy five or eighty bucks. Um, and they have like Liga MX and other stuff. Um, the other thing that they got for this tournament is they got three games on CBC. That's very good. Two double headers on Saturday are going to be free throughout the tournament. Um, they, the last, I want to say the last week of July, based on what a support Twitter account said, took out the monthly fee and only allowed people to sign up for one soccer for 70 bucks for the end of the year which would cover the island games the um, Canadian championship final which will be a one-off game played between 
the uh, the winner of the MLS Phase Two between the Canadian teams and the winner of the Island Games, and uh, Canada's World Cup qualifiers. Right. But the thing is, it is so irresponsible to me to run a streaming service that has an annual fee, and to have seen what happened in March when all your crap got canceled. Yeah. And then say. We're going to take your money up front. Yeah. We're going to take your money up front. Don't worry. We have a lots of great content in October and November. A lot of things could happen in the world between October and November. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a, a very uh, transparent move. Um, that, like, I guess ultimately from, from a business perspective, I'm like, well, it's not the dumbest idea around. And, I like, I get it. But it, it just, it would be nice to be, as a soccer fan, treated as something other than just <laughs> dollar signs. Um, and that you might actually make more by having more people subscribe monthly than the probably, I'm guessing, fewer number of people that are going to look at that upfront cost and just go, eh, no. I have, uh, I have launched a question to the Canadian Premier League. Um, they have not responded. Um, to request to talk about this to, as to why they chose to do that. They're also doing this collective thing, which is like their branding is a national supporters group um, where you pay 165 if you were a season ticket holder or 185 bucks to get a free year of one soccer in the jersey. Well, not a free year. It's It's the cost of a jersey and a year of one soccer. <laughs> okay, just, just doing the math in my head there for a second. Took me a bit to catch up. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I'd say free. They want to get money for people. And the diehard fans of the Canadian Premier League, um, from what I've seen, are want to support the league. And that is great. I think that the, the people that they're failing to play for and attract are soccer fans and MLS fans who feel positively about community-oriented football, who want to learn more, who want to be a part of it, but also support MLS teams or also do other stuff. Yeah. To where to the point where are you going to spend 70 bucks and not watch every game? Yeah. Um and then the pin and and spend 70 bucks and then the pandemic comes and and then what happens? Uh, nobody has answered what happens at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in in the other thing that you know, there was also they had some games rescheduled and they rescheduled a York Nine versus Pacific game at the same time as TFC Whitecaps. Right. Yes. Which is like the opposite. <laughs> I feel it's like the very worst case scenario of, of which which two Campiel teams you could put in that position. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it. I mean, it's still in the pilot project phases, I suppose. Uh, the other thing, and, and we're going to talk about the games, but I just got to say, this stadium that they have, the the newest, the newest, uh, the newest way to try and figure out how to interest people visually when they're looking at an empty or at an empty field, or in this case, a, a practice field, um, is in this case 
a computer-generated stadium that looks straight out of FIFA 10 um, with fake tarps <laughs> that hangs 10 feet above the, the sidelines, but looks like it, it looks like it's ad hoardings like you would expect in a stadium, except that you can see the power poles underneath them. Um, there are ads that are in the end zones or that are, that are just past the goal line that you might expect in another tournament to be on the field, except the stadium isn't anchored to anything. Like, if you're watching, it sort of just floats based on when the camera is moving. And the ads that are on the field move with the stadium. Which is perfect. Yeah. I knew. I know it's a new thing. I know it's a, a new thing. I know the, it's something that has never been done. But MLS's also upsetting use of CG was, at the very least, rooted to real objects. It's also, to just like get slightly more involved in it than we need to be for just a quickest of seconds, is like... Remember that period of time in like the late 90s, early 2000s where CGI was terrible because they were just trying to put it in everything? And it wasn't so yes. much that the CGI itself was bad. It's that it was being put in situations where it wasn't needed. So it, it was like it wasn't seamless. Whereas now most CGI, we don't even know we're watching because it's seamless. I'm not saying that you have the same big budget CGI for a football game. It's just that it's one of those things where it's like nobody's stopping to ask here but like but do we need to do this like do we need to cgi a stadium because that actually is more distracting than if you maybe just put some extra ads on the pitch somewhere (laughs) or on the sides like why the fake stadium in, in no way do i want to insult the canadian premier league for not having a big enough cg department like, like you would expect them to to be able to 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 have like you know a movie quality stadium, and this was a this was a tweet that the 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 one like a one soccer communications person had where they were like, I think that we should be, you know, uh, I think that 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 we should applaud the fact that the you know they're trying something new, you know, a gentle reminder we are literally living Armin Badaki tweets a gentle reminder that we are li- literally living in the matrix. So please be patient, uh, dot, dot, dot. So please be patient because, again, a virtual stadium. It's like, I understand how ambitious it is, but if you are, but it's an attempt to create the best possible experience. And if it's all you're looking at because it's warping in real time, it's not adding to the experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's solving the wrong problem with the wrong tools. You know, like I get, wanting to engage the viewer at home and I get experimenting with things. I, I do. Um, I guess this is us telling them, please stop. It's the one thing that I can say about it is that I think that for all the games so far this year, there has been a very amusing, chaotic vibe. Yeah. And I think that, I think that having a big CG stadium has created that air of almost whimsy <laughs> where it's like, all right, anything could happen. All right, what's going to happen? Are we going to have three straight two-two draws? Okay, this works for me. This is just an idea, so just <laughs> hear me out. But what if we also piped in some 
stadium noise, and commentary from FIFA 10. Oh, man. That would be good. I re- Just the same 10 canned responses. I think that's what we need. The opening game of the tournament was um, Forge, versus, uh, Forge FC versus Cavalry FC, a rematch of the inaugural KPL final. Um, I think that it's interesting that it, the way that they present it is they present uh, Forge as being the undisputed winner, uh, despite the fact that Cavalry won both seasons, <laughs> both the, the spring and the fall seasons, and they tried to do it. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that'll kind of be for fans to decide. But uh, uh, here in the opening game, they came up even. You had an early goal for Cavalry from Dominic Sator. Uh, Anthony Novak scored an amazing volley to get Forge back in it, and Kyle Becker headed in to give Forge the lead. But then Nathan Bavila got up. There was a penalty when uh, I'm trying to remember the Dominic. I want to say Dominic Samuel. Um, the ball hits. He's called for a handball. They run the play. They run the replays over and over uh, as to whether or not this is a um, this is a real penalty. But in any case, Calvary get the penalty and make it two two. I think I agree with the analyst Carmelita Moscato. I think it touches his arm. Mm. Uh, and there's no far in KPL, so it's all it's all, uh, it's all left on the pitch. It's all banter, anyways. Um, the uh, then you have York Nine versus uh, Atletico Ottawa uh, making its inaugural game. Um, Mo Karuma from uh, signs from uh, Halifax uh, scores in first half stoppage time. Um, but then, and this would become a theme for uh, Atletico. Uh, they get a second yellow and everything falls apart. That, I mean, that will happen. Um, with Lowell Wright, 16, youngest player to score in Canadian Premier League, and uh, a penalty two minutes later from Dichiara. Um, this is where you have missed us saying, uh, the players lacked intensity or, or whatever he said. Yeah. It's just like, this is game one of the franchise. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's always a little bit concerning when a coach is so blatant um, and so blunt about a team's performance in their first game. It's like, oh, just lie for the first press conference. <laughs> Let your team feel like they've got the illusion of having an okay season. Just be like, ah, oh, it wasn't good, was it? <laughs> Where do you so go York from there? Yorkie class is a penalty. And then we go to Halifax versus Pacific, where... Uh, Halifax gets a, pen- a penalty early after Dornworth for- fouls Corey Bennett, and then um, Pacific gets goals from Verhoeven and Bustos, and then Bustos on the- Marco Bustos, a late on the 86th minute, Ibra Sano scores another penalty to make it two-two for the third game in a row where there's an equalizing penalty to make it two-two. Pacific just really seem to to struggle to finish a game out, don't they? It's like it's, there's pieces there. They're not bad. But, man, shutting that thing down is, is something that they continually struggle with. The the first actual win in the tournament was recorded by uh, Cavalry um, the, uh, with 
a 2-0 win over Valor. Goals from Marcus Haver and Sergio Camargo. Forge, this is where I think, see, this is what I'm saying, is that I feel that Cal, like Cavalry and Forge are like neck and neck in trying to make, in trying to stamp their mark on the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Forge then also gets a 2-0 win over Edmonton. Um, that game that happened last night, um, Pacific versus York, uh, York, after a, a pretty good first half for Pacific, um, York get a, gets a 70th minute goal from their substitute, Alvaro Rivero. And then in the 92nd minute, Lucas McNaughton for Pacific scores to even it. Um, so many draws already, but they're all interesting draws. There's no draws where things aren't happening. or, or Yeah, no, or, absolutely. There's, there's penalties, there's red cards. And then you have Atletico Valor, where they already have a player that is missing because he was on the the the, the red from the previous, from the previous game. game. <laughs> Milovan Kapoor knocks, uh, cleans out a player in the penalty area, gets a second yellow, com- uh, and concedes a pen to former white cap, former Vancouver white cap Fraser Air. There's a lot of former white caps in in these teams. I'm, I'm just like seeing a- uh, Haber, Aird, Bustos. It's the the whole team back. He, yeah, so he gets sent off. He converts. The, he he. They concede the penalty. Valor uh, score three more. The last two are 90th minute or later, which sucks. <laughs> that sucks. If you're going into the 90th minute and you're two nothing, you could at least be like, okay, well that sucked. Two other teams have lost two nothing. Um, we we could just try to regroup, and then you concede and then you concede again yeah and just real slumped shoulders in this one i mean it's a tough situation to be in i get it but yeah you'd hope that there would have been no shame in losing this game to nothing uh but it it does smack an awful lot of just giving up letting two late goals in like that and and really just feels like when you see them it's it's valor standing around being like can we can we go is the bus here yet um like, oh, boys, boys, whistle hasn't gone yet. You still got a game to finish out here. Um, Halifax and Forge are playing as we speak. That's um, right. Forge, I believe, has a goal. Mm, so we'll see if that stands. Uh, the, my, I, as, as we've talked about before, you know, my, uh, my, the, the Campiel is a weird one for me because there are so many former Whitecaps that play for Pacific and obviously so many people back in BC that are invested in that team that I want to see made happy by soccer. Uh, I did attend a couple FC Edmonton games when I lived in Alberta, um, but I've got a I've got a I've got to ride my my main uh, my main allegiance in the tournament is with Halifax. So that's that's my that's my viewpoint as we're heading through. Yeah. I think I just want to see Pacific play well. Like, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a fan or I'm cheering for them. But, uh, I mean, after last season's struggles and, of course, with Pamuda Ka now as the head coach, um, our old buddy Marcel de Jong is back in their lineup. You know, I just I just want to see them do well. Um, the, the West Coast, we've, we've suffered a bit in our soccer, and it would be just real nice <laughs> if we just had, like, one really good team. You know, 
that would be ideal. Um, elsewhere, as I said, Canada got its group in CONCACAF qualifying. Um, they must... I guess the way they're doing this is that the top five teams by world ranking are going into the Ocho or, you know, it's not the Hex because there's eight teams. In right. It, but the, the same final group um, is going to has five, five teams that are automatically in it. So they're going to have Canada is being uh, put in the first round where they will face a group that includes Suriname, Bermuda, Cayman Islands, and Aruba. Um, and if they are able to uh, win that group, um, which <laughs> I hope so, <laughs> um, the, uh, they will face one of the other group winners in a two-legged series, and the winners of the two-legged series is go into the 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 18 final group right if that's simple if that's not comp if that's uh <laughs> that's all they got to do quite a that's simple system all they got to do but uh i mean it's better than the one where canada gets eliminated based on fifa ranking true um or 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 received based if, on fifa ranking. if this is the route we will take it uh except as i said there's a pandemic who knows that any of those like, like we've got to go travel to. We've got to go. We've got to do international travel between Suriname and in the Cayman Islands and stuff. Yeah. In October. Feels ambitious. In November. A little optimistic. Maybe. Um. This uh this weekend on Friday, um, Canada's Misha Buchanan plays, uh, Leon versus Bayern Munich in the Women's Champions League. Semi-final, I think, or quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is another Leon Bayern Munich game taking place in the Champions League. <laughs> uh, if you may have heard that, and the the MLS tie-ins. If you if you're a Whitecaps fan that are, is looking for if some sort of a some sort of a reason to care about this, is that German media has reported Sports Build um, the Vancouver Whitecaps. Fee for Davies is going to go up by a million euros if Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich win the Champions League. Oh, interesting. So there's a little there's a little bit of money riding on it, or a little bit of a a little bit of interest. Well, that'll keep the Whitecaps uh, brass happy as long as there's a little bit of money in it. Isn't it isn't it strange to be in this position where you're, you know, you looked at a player that you supported for the Whitecaps, and it's like. They're talking about how he's going to match up with Lionel, Lionel Messi. It's like we're now in a place where the Vancouver Whitecaps have a direct rooting interest. Like like the result of the Champions League final will have a direct result on the Vancouver Whitecaps, yeah. which is just a wild sentence. Yeah, like if they win the Champions League, we could technically get a midfielder DP. <laughs> just based on that signing like that dollar figure alone it's, it's it's wild but man if if you are alive and breathing air and have not yet seen uh alfonso davies performance against barcelona please please just go look up those highlights because that is some that's pr- that might be the high point of canadian soccer like i'd love to think it's gonna get better but i was like i'll take it it's funny it's it it 
nobody is doubting it. And you know, it, uh, the 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 reports came in that somebody uh, on Twitter had the little note that um, uh, Barcelona turned down Davies because he's Canadian. Yeah, they, yeah. The, they got offered Davies. The first. apparent storyline that they were they were having a look, and then the coach decided no, he's Canadian. So, oh, keep an open mind, folks. Not to not to not to try and spend any more time than we have to talk about Europe. But <laughs> hey, we're all on Team Davies. <laughs> um, until next week. Where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can find this podcast at That'sOMLS.com, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever other podcasts are found. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Where can we find you? You can find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. You can read my column on the uh, MLS is back final at www.littlerubberpellets.com. Go look it up. And until next week, don't get red cards in two consecutive games and immediately ship a ton of goals. So no to that. We're not doing that. Don't do no. that. Okay. Got it. Got it. Put in my notes.